0: Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Let me just pray for us, and we're going to just turn our hearts and our minds' attention to the Word of God this morning. Lord Jesus, we are just so grateful that we have your Word, God, that um, we have uh, what, what you've spoken to us, written down, and we can open it and read it at any time, God. What an amazing privilege and blessing, Father. And so this morning, we open up your word, God. We pray for John as he just speaks what's on his heart and what's coming from uh, your message, Lord. But we open up our hearts, God. I pray that we would just be... Um, Open to whatever you have for us this morning, God. I pray we wouldn't close off our hearts or put up a wall, God. I I ask your Holy Spirit to take down our defenses this morning, Lord. That we would take them down and open our ears and our eyes to see what you're doing in our lives. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're, we're actually getting back into the Sermon on the Mount. This has been kind of an overarching series and theme for us as Jesus brings a manifesto of what his kingdom is like. Uh, found in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 or so. And as month by month, we've been digging into things Jesus says, things Jesus lives, and ways that maybe other parts of the New Testament instruct us how to live the way Jesus says. Uh, this is sort of the first of a new chunk of it, where we look at how when we take this manifesto of Jesus, where he says that our, our walk with God isn't based on following rules, but a vibrant relationship with God, embodying and living out the heart of God here on earth, we're asking for the next few weeks, so what's that look like in all of our relationships with other people? And we're going to dig into Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42 together now. You might want to pull that up if you're quick on your phone or have a Bible at the end of the row, or you can find the large print edition uh, up here on the screen. And Jesus says this, you've heard that it was said, and this, for those of you who haven't been with us through the series, in this part of Matthew's gospel and Jesus' sermon, it's a technique that he's repeatedly using. And so example after example, episode after episode in Matthew 5, he uses this formula of taking some familiar religious teaching that the people had from the Old Testament and bringing God's heart through it in a fresh way. So he says, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. You know, over the years, I don't just mean the handful of years of my own life. I mean like centuries on centuries of church history. This is one of these passages that has been like debated, discussed, and interpreted and reinterpreted over and over and over. Do you know why? Because when you read that or you hear that, what do we think? We're like, you can't be serious, Jesus, right? And you're like, no, 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 no. You're, you're kidding me, right? Uh, you don't really mean for us to do that, right? And, and so I pause and I think, wait, isn't it remarkable that Matthew didn't edit that part out? Because there's all kinds of things that Jesus said and did that didn't make their way into the Bible. And if I were getting to like do some picking and choosing out of his sermon notes and and things, uh, this one might have dropped out of my version uh, of the account. And Matthew didn't edit this one out. He kept it there. And, and yet here we are today, we keep searching for an interpretation that will somehow make more sense to us than the way it sounds like Jesus really said it. Because that just sounds like right out there, kind of ridiculous. Really? Somebody's doing these things, you just let them do it? And uh, at least I don't think I'm alone in reading him this way. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? Because there is something in here that resists actually wanting to do that. There are things that Jesus says and does that something in me says, I want to live like that. But this piece, there's more in me that says, I don't want to have to live like that. And, and here's the thing. The way we read scripture makes such a difference that what we do with it, and if when we're reading Scripture, and particularly the Sermon on the Mount, if we read it as legislation, we're going to find ourselves looking for loopholes. We're going to be looking for, where's the boundary? And, and okay, well, maybe that applies in this situation, but if there's extenuating circumstances, then that doesn't have to apply to me. And the reality is, look, instead of searching for the boundaries where we can switch on and off what it seems like Jesus is saying, He's really calling us to share the heart of God and to be people who actually embody a heart and a love that he has that's bigger than ourselves, that goes beyond self-protection and, and is very challenging to do. But when we read it not as legislation, but as an expression of the heart of God, well, then our goal becomes, God, help me absorb this internally with all of its challenges, with all of its implications. And and so to understand this, these verses, one of the things we got to do is take to heart the stuff that Jesus is saying right around that. However we interpret this has got to fit into the context. And for better or worse, the context here is Jesus saying, it's like the next verse. He's saying, love your enemies. Love your enemies. And so our context, however we understand this whole business of turning the other cheek, it's got to look like this loving my neighbor who happens to be my enemy. Does that make sense? So Jesus says, what kind of person does Jesus say not to resist here? Don't resist a what kind of person? An evil person. So the morality of the individual and his actions are not in question. It's, it's not to, for us to judge and say, well, go along with somebody if they're not too bad, but if they're evil, then draw the line. Actually, the morality of the person, the action is not in question. It is Jesus is starting from the place of saying, yeah, I know it's wrong. I know that's unfair. I know that's that crosses the boundaries. It crosses the lines. Yes, it's wrong. That's the starting point. So what is going on here? Well, in the in the Old Testament, when God first gave the saying to his people, eye for eye and tooth to tooth, the one that Jesus references the goal was to actually limit retribution. It was to ensure that any judicial punishment or any punishment for someone's wrongdoing was appropriate and proportional, and not turning into um, a, a vendetta. Right? Set a judicial standard that prevents vendettas. Something that Travis said uh, about it this week was, "Yeah, it was God's way of preventing people from getting in blood feuds like the Hatfields and McCoys." And if Travis was here, I'd tease him that those are his people. Uh, but he's not, so I won't. Uh, he's down teaching our children. Um, but, but look at this. Jesus is not simply trying to channel us away from taking revenge personally into trusting a judicial system. That's not his goal here. It, already the judicial system's in view when he says, if someone sues you and wants to take your tunic, Right? So, it's not judicial system as alternative to, uh, personal revenge. Jesus is actually trying to cut deeper here. He didn't say if someone slaps you, well then let the judicial system, you know, uh, administer the retaliatory slap to the person. What he's doing, he's trying to go deeper in our hearts than that. And as he, as he does that, I just want to invite each of us to let him take a deeper cut to us this morning uh, with these words and instead of searching for our exceptions, to actually invite him to, well, in many ways, as we were singing, to, to let his spirit be strong uh, in the places where we just don't have it in us to do it. Because Jesus is saying here that even those who are doing wrong, even the very people who are out to get us, who take advantage to us and are doing wrong to us, they're, still in the category, uh, next verse, still in the category of neighbor, as Jesus defines it. And therefore, are in the category of people we love rather than striking back at. Jesus turns the other cheek as an expression of loving his neighbor. And so for us, you know, when we just love people who love us, if we just do good to our friends, there's ways that that's kind of an extension of self-love, right? Because if I love the people who love me, what do I get back? I get some love back, right? And so I'm kind of loving myself vicariously. When I, when I treat my friends well, they treat me well. When I love those who love me, I get love in return. And Jesus is calling for something that's radically different. And what's radically different about it is this is who God is like. There's no time you and I are more like God than when we're loving our enemies because that's who he is and that's what he does. And Jesus is describing something here that goes way beyond passivity. It's not simply do not resist an evil person. That's the beginning point. But he goes on to describe a radical generosity of spirit towards people who are just taking from us. And here's the reality. Nobody can rob you of what you're giving away. If you're already giving it away, nobody can steal it from you. And this generosity of spirit is sad. It saturates these examples that Jesus uses, right? Look at the examples that he's got. We've got turn the other cheek and it's dealing with this whole area of I deserve respect. You, you shouldn't treat me that way about honor, shame, and indeed physical pain. I don't want to have to deal with that. But as he continues, he says, if somebody's trying to sue you and steal from you something that's yours, using the legal system to his advantage to do it, go beyond what you're required to give him the thing that you have a right to keep. Give him your cloak as well. And so he's now dealing also not just with my feelings, but with my stuff, my actual possessions, things that I rely on that are important to my life and my lifestyle. And then when he talks about go with him two miles, don't just go the part that you're compelled to, but give beyond that and go farther. Now Jesus is touching on to my time my energy for me personally there's is kind of nothing more precious to me than than how I get to spend my time and Jesus is saying don't just give the minimum that you're required to go beyond and give more of your time and energy and investment to somebody who doesn't deserve it and then he gets into give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who borrows from him. and he's calling us to a generosity of spirit towards people that are taking advantage of us, and maybe to folks that we feel like are not a good investment. It challenges me. Because even in some of my own history of having been generous to people who didn't seem like a good risk and it not going well, I'm like, well, okay, I'm not going to do that again, right? I'm going to learn, going to change. Jesus says, no, don't learn that lesson. Learn the lesson that I'm still with you and that God has so much that we can't run out. I'm so provoked because I measure out mercy by the tablespoon. When God's an ocean of mercy that will never run dry. You know, I think for each of us, these examples that Jesus uses, and please don't view that as the all-inclusive restrictive list, you know, right? Because there'll be people who come to you and it will demand something of you that may not fit very neatly into one of those bullet points. But the heart of God will still be the same for us to respond with the generosity of spirit and not say, whoo, that didn't quite fit the letter of how Jesus said that. Right? And so for each of us, you'll probably find some of these easier versus harder. You know, you get more threatened when some aspect of your life is getting pulled on and touched on than other ones. And and we were we were talking in the car this morning, the girls asked some question about old college roommates, right? If you've been to college, you probably have at least one college roommate story. That's part of what you pay for when you go to college. And and so use those for decades to come with your children and, and beyond. And, and it, it happened, uh, that we were talking about, um, one of my college roommates who had, he'd become a believer in Christ his, uh, during our freshman year. I invited him to room with me, share a, a dorm room the second year, cause I imagined myself like having this discipling role. Uh, I've been a Christian longer. I viewed myself as more mature. I thought, Hey, now that you've come to faith in the same Jesus that I have, let, let me show you how it's done. And so he moved in with me. Oh my gosh. I, it was like, I had, I, I was better at having Bible verses memorized, okay? But there were all kinds of ways that living with Chris just schooled me about living like Jesus, like the time. And this is what I was telling the kids in the car. Um, yeah, I came back to our dorm room and there's a homeless guy who, that he's brought in to move into our dorm room with us. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we had a couch, yeah, you know, And so, but Chris, he's just following the heart of Jesus here, right? You know, you give and you care and you share this love with everybody. So he brought the homeless guy home and he's living in our dorm room and he's wearing my favorite pair of trousers. <laughs> <laughs> and my roommate said, well, mine wouldn't fit him, you know? <laughs> and, and he's right. I was skinny. Homeless guy was skinny. And... <sighs> And and so, you know, I, I wasn't planning as an illustration, but I'm listening, yeah, here it is. You know, that generosity of spirit. It was real easy for my roommate to give away my stuff, right? <laughs> but that was my favorite pair of pants. They were these charcoal colored cargo pants. This was the 80s, folks. That was like first time round for these. And it was like the one thing that cared. I would have like gladly taken him to a thrift store, but no, he has to give him my trousers. And, And these kinds of things, they just come up in our lives. And how we respond when these things, when these verses come into play, it says so much about where our faith is really at. Does that make sense? Because if loving my neighbor like myself, right? Jesus said that, didn't he? If loving my neighbor like myself looks like turning the other cheek when I'm offended, or giving more when people are taking away something from me, guys, that's going to require me to live for something bigger and beyond myself. But it's going to require me not just to live for something beyond myself. I've got to live from something beyond myself. I've got to live in the grace of God. Here's the bottom line, friends. We need a really big God if we're going to live like this. I think there's there's probably nothing harder than trying to serve God if you don't trust him. If we're trying to do the things he says, but we don't trust him to be who he says he is in our lives, it's going to be really hard. You need a really big God to live like this. And let's realize Jesus has a really big God. Jesus actually believes that his life and everything that goes with that like food, clothing, a place to live, sense of honor, health, pain, reputation, they're actually in the hands of his heavenly father. Jesus actually believes that and lives like it. And he can trust his heavenly father. When we read these verses, 38 through 42 of chapter five, where Jesus says these things, it's simply a radical application of what we saw him teaching in chapter six that Luke preached about a number of weeks back. Where he says, Don't worry about your life. Trust God and seek the kingdom of heaven first. It's simply a radical application of how we can trust our Heavenly Father, who clothes the birds of the air and clothes the flowers of the field with better splendor and greatness than we can find not only at Walmart but in Nordstroms. And to say, okay, well let's work that out in our relationships with other people. And how we try to apply or interpret these verses. It says a ton about where our faith really is. If we feel like, no, 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 I can't do this, then we're saying something about how big we think our God is. Something about how trustworthy we think he is. We're saying something about whether we actually believe that God's worthy of us entrusting our lives to him. It's not just when the baby is tiny and we're standing up here. It's, you know, Ryan and Faith, you guys are going to face this when you see a kid picking on him on the playground. How are you going to respond? Where's your trust? What do you rely on um, in those sort of moments? Because no matter what we claim to believe, these verses put to the test where my trust really is. Do my fears force me to take self-preservation into my own hands? That when there's a threat, I've got to rely on myself to protect myself, or can I rest myself in the hands of an all-powerful father in heaven who loves me, who gave his son for me, and who secured my life today and my future forever through the cross and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Apparently, the life that actually trusts our heavenly father isn't striving for self-protection but instead for radical trust in him in a way that keeps giving and keeps responding generously to the people who keep taking advantage of us. And in those moments when I'm tempted to just take protection into my own hands, I've got to pause and ask myself, what does it look like right now for me to love my neighbor as myself? And so let me just make sure a couple things are not misunderstood as I'm saying this, all right? Um, we're, we're not saying here that we're always supposed to ignore evil or let evil be unopposed. We're not saying that. Uh, if you're in an abusive relationship, please understand your safety matters. Don't stay, get safe. Um, it, and if you've ever used these words of Jesus here as like a tool or even a weapon, to try to make someone else give more to you when you don't deserve it, that's abusing the scripture and it's abusing the relationship. This These verses are an invitation. They're a call from Jesus for you and I to freely give ourselves to others in faith and trust our heavenly father. Don't turn it around to, to be a weapon or a tool to try to use to take instead of to give. But brothers and sisters, friends, we ourselves, we've got to take seriously Jesus's words and not do the editing job that I wish Matthew would have done, you know, but instead respond to the invitation to come into a greater degree of trusting the Lord for our own safety and preservation and provision in our relationships with other people. We've got to live it in a context that is consistent with trusting a Father in heaven who cares for our lives and radically loving our neighbors, even if there's enemies. Yeah, I don't think there's a compound word. We have like frenemies. There's a word for that, for friends who are like also enemies. We don't have a neighbor enemy thing. An enemy doesn't really work. But but blend the sin. In Jesus' definition of love your neighbor, it includes the people who killed him, that he was praying for on the cross. And so for us, It's a call for us to treat people, no matter how they're behaving towards us, as people. People made in the image of God. People that God loves and gave himself for. That he calls us also to respect and to love. Guys, there's plenty of evil in the world. There's plenty. Jesus even calls certain people, the people involved here, evil people here. But remember, we are not battling against people. You know, even where there are enemies, face it, friends, people aren't the enemy. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual rulers, powers, and principalities that infest and in many ways dominate the world system and how this world operates. And so the people who mistreat us, who wrong us, we bless and not curse. There are fellow humans who need Jesus just like we do. And that gets tested in all kinds of ways, like on the playground, as I mentioned, like at work. And so it, sometimes it's as simple as someone in retail being on the phone instead of tending to us and we get offended by it, right? How we respond says a lot about where our faith really is. And it's challenging. I, I just recently, uh, I was in some meetings where I felt mistreated, you know, it's in meeting context and I'm, and I'm now being accused of things based on a misunderstanding on someone else's part of what the facts were and what had happened. And all oh, I wanted to defend myself, I wanted to set the record straight, make sure that, uh, it wasn't just about the accuracy of the information though. It was about me defending myself and wanting to make sure that my honor, my sense of, you know, how I'm perceived, I fight for that. I I, I just felt that coming up. No, I've got to take this into my hands. But man, isn't that what we, isn't that what we're talking about when we talk about something being like a slap in the face? Right? That thing that someone said and it hurts. Man, that was disrespectful. It's like a slap in the face. And those are the very moments that what Jesus has to say here either finds an expression in our faith and our response or not. Because our trust in God needs to not only include our physical welfare, but our sense of honor and shame. I mean, shame is something we we reject, we run away from. But Jesus here is teaching us we can absorb that because of the favor and the honor that comes from our Heavenly Father. And and one of the ways that God was speaking to me this week, um, which is the kind of thing that makes you want to just preach on shallow stuff, you know, Uh, Sorry, this is my sarcastic sense of humor, you know, but when you're digging into things, you're like, oh, I have to live this. You know, it's kind of tempting to think, can I just like preach on prosperity for a month or two, something like this. But uh, what David says in Psalm 62, verses five through eight, just reached out and grabbed my heart. Uh, And what David says there is find rest. Oh, my soul in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. And I realized it it, hit me so strongly. It's not just my physical salvation that depends on God. It's my honor. It's my sense of worth and who I am and reputation. It depends on who? It depends on God. He is my mighty rock my refuge. And as and the psalmist, David, here goes further. He says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And when you and I are feeling threatened, when you and I have been wronged, where do we go with that? Not to take it back from the person who did it, but we pour out our heart to the Lord because he is our refuge. Now, I don't have this perfectly, Every argument I have with my wife or time I get upset with the kids is a testimony to the fact that I'm still taking it into my own hands to try to keep my honor myself and I'm not trusting the Lord in the way that Jesus describes here. Do you know who actually lives like this fully? It's not me. Jesus does. And we see Jesus living like this. Um, Oh, by the way, these were the verses I was going to preach back on Palm Sunday when we shifted gears and we went a different direction with the sermon. So this is kind of the Palm Sunday uh, service uh, message where Jesus gets arrested. And and in the time that Jesus is arrested, we see vividly that he's living his own teaching from Matthew chapter 5. And so in Matthew 26, verses 47 through 56, we see that while Jesus was still speaking, he's now in the garden. Um, it says one of the 12 arrived. And with him, with this one of the 12, what's his name? Anybody know? It's on the screen. It's Judas. He arrived. And with Judas was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And now the betrayer, who's that? Yeah, same guy, right? Matthew's just letting us know what he thinks of him, right? right, But he's calling what it is. Just like Jesus said, don't resist an evil person. This is who it is. He's the betrayer, the friend, the one that Jesus has just broken bread with, says the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. So what's he do? Going directly to Jesus, Judah said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus knows what's going on here. He says, friend, do what you came for. What a way to address him, even in that moment. And it says then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Seized means not gentle, right? And arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions, who hadn't read Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, <laughs> said, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father in heaven and he'll not at once send 12 legions of angels? Right? He'll put them at my disposal, he says. No, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled to say it must happen in this way? Friends, we're going to share communion together now. Here at Mercy Hill, it's something that that we do most every Sunday. It's such a valuable reminder and moment for us to encounter the grace of God. And here we see in the act of communion that even through this moment of betrayal and arrest where Jesus stops the retaliation of his own friend and entrusts himself radically to the honor of the Father, to honor the scriptures, and to say, no. We see that in the very moment that they were taking to arrest him, Jesus is saying, yes. You can't take what I'm giving. I'm giving. So here, here's my blood. Here's my body. It's poured out for my enemies. It's poured out for sinners to be a new covenant in my blood. So the bread and the juice are just going to pass their way through the through the rows now. I invite you to go ahead and take a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. In themselves, that's all they are. It's just bread and juice. But there's a moment here where we can entrust ourselves to the Lord afresh and say, well, Lord, my life really is in your hands. I entrust myself fully to you. And Jesus, just as you gave yourself for me, I receive that you are all in all for me. Maybe you've never done that as to become a believer in Christ because believing in Jesus is more than acknowledging that he really lived. It's even more than acknowledging that he died and rose again. It's saying, Jesus, you're my king. You're my Lord. You're my life. And I will follow you. He'll forgive your sins. He'll adopt you into this family and you become his own. And so while these are passing, um, the worship team is going to begin to... Actually, I just want us to be able to be in a place where we can really join into the song that they've got for us. So let me pray as this is passing, then we'll take the bread and the cup together. And the worship team will teach... This song may not be familiar to many of us, but it's a declaration of who God is and how he can live through us as well. Lord, we confess Lord, how strong the drive and temptation is for us to try to keep and save our own life instead of entrusting our lives to you. Jesus, we're so humbled as we look at, as we receive this bread and this cup, because in the very moment where you could have spared your own life, you gave it instead. Lord Jesus, thank you that on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread, you broke it, you gave thanks, and you offered it to your disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And in the same way, after supper, you took the cup. When you gave given thanks, you offered it to your disciples and you said, this is the blood of a new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, this is, this is our covenant. Lord, thank you for being sufficient for us. Lord, forgive us the many ways that we retaliate, not even because we're trying to do harm but we feel like we're back into a corner. We don't have any other option except to strike out because we have to protect ourselves. or well, we humble ourselves. God, we admit we don't know how to really live like this the way you do, Jesus, unless you will do it through us. So Lord, we ask for your grace, for your mercy that not only covers our sins, but empowers us to live your will. I invite you. Let's take the bread and let's take the cup together.